Tonight, schools shut down. Despite a strike ban, education workers walk off the job. The rallies and the outrage in Ontario with both sides digging in. This government's disgusting. Frankly, we're not going to tolerate it. Families left in the lurch. If school is closed, then it's not easy for us. The start of mass terminations at Twitter. I found that my work laptop was remotely wiped. The new management of Elon Musk. It just speaks to how dire the situation is. Plus, when love is limitless. They were the first people that I took care of. The foster mom giving homes and hope to more than 130 kids and counting. She just made me grow up to be a better man. CTV National News with Omar Sachedina. Reporting tonight, John Venavalli Rao. Good evening. Instead of classes, there were picket lines in Ontario today where school children are getting caught up in the middle of a labor fight with national implications. More than a million students were kept home after 55,000 education workers walked off the job. Despite threats, they could be fined every day $4,000 each. The union has said it will pay those penalties after the province traded negotiations for the notwithstanding clause. Here's CTV's Heather Butts. From Toronto to Northern Ontario, Ottawa to Windsor, protesters rallied in every corner of the province. The largest picket was at the Ontario Legislature, as 55,000 education workers walked off the job over failed contract talks. Let's be clear, schools are not closed because the workers aren't there. Schools are closed because they can't exist without education workers. Solidarity! Nearly 10,000 strong, they marched around Queen's Park after the province invoked the notwithstanding clause, imposed a contract and banned a strike. We will use every tool available to government to open these schools, bring some end to this needless, illegal strike that is hurting just so many kids today. They love their jobs but want better working conditions, especially those who help with vulnerable students. Runners, you have children who don't, are not even verbal. You've got children that have behavior issues. So with this, it's a safety concern. The average salary of those now illegally on strike, 39000 We both work two jobs because this job isn't paying enough for, um, for, for us to live. These custodians simply want more helping hands. If I have a vomit to clean up in one room and a spill in another room, it's like I have to clone myself. Whenever there's something lost, they um, always put it right where they know where it's yours. And who does that? Our caretakers. With kids now home, once again, it's a tough time for parents. If I have to take a day off to stay at home, it's really going to tell on me. It's going to tell on my finances. Several other unions joined the picket today, calling the province's preemptive use of the notwithstanding clause an attack on all workers. You're taking away our fundamental rights as, uh, as, as people in this country. The Prime Minister has also criticized its use. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms cannot become a suggestion. Parents in Ontario are in for an anxious weekend. The union telling them to prepare to have their kids at home next week. Some school boards are already making arrangements to return to online learning. John. All right, Heather Butts leading us off tonight in Toronto.
There was a bit of positive news on the labor front today, with Statistics Canada reporting surprisingly good job numbers. The country added 108,000 jobs in October, around 10 times better than forecast, though the economy is still expected to slow. U.S. jobs data also exceeded expectations, adding 261,000 positions, though the unemployment rate ticked slightly higher. And that unemployment rate getting no favors from Elon Musk today as his latest acquisition, social media giant Twitter, reportedly axed nearly half of its workforce. The move follows a week of chaos and uncertainty under the company's new outspoken owner. And late word tonight, United Airlines has joined a growing number of companies suspending advertising on the platform. Bill Fortier now on the closures and the cuts. The new owner of Twitter left a New York investment conference quickly after saying this inside. We've made no change in our operations at all. But the Tesla tycoon's Twitter takeover did include a pretty big change. Today, he laid off an unknown number, reportedly thousands, blaming Twitter's pre-existing poor finances and what he called activists against free speech. Activist groups have been successful in, in, in causing a massive drop in Twitter advertising revenue. Among advertisers that have stepped away, Volkswagen and General Mills, the serial giant saying it will evaluate the new direction before pouring any more money into the platform. There's people that are saying, is this too toxic? Um, there's a lot of instability here. The doors were closed today at Twitter's headquarters in San Francisco. Many now former employees ironically tweeting about their forced departures with the hashtag one team. That support network is already happening. It's really strong. Simon Balmain is one of many around the world now out of work. It seems difficult to me to understand how you would be able to correctly evaluate so many people's uh, positions in such a small period of time. Some former employees claim the entire ethics, transparency and accountability team and the human rights team are among the cuts. And there's wide concern that content moderators have also been fired. Today, Musk said this. Moderation rules and hateful conduct rules have not changed uh, and we're continuing to enforce them. Musk recently changed his profile title to Twitter complaint hotline operator, seemingly making light of the situation. But some analysts believe he has a serious problem on his hands, calming advertisers and mainstream users. The easy part was buying Twitter. The hard part's going to be fixing it. And another challenge, Musk is being sued by laid off employees claiming he didn't give enough notice. Twitter has promised three months of severance to all fired employees. John. Okay, Bill, thank you for that. There is some spectacular social media video making the rounds after a pileup in Denver. Check it out, a hundred cars smashed into each other, closing a major highway after the city's first snowfall of the season. There were reports of minor injuries, but no deaths. The former prime minister of Pakistan spoke publicly today for the first time since he was shot while traveling in a protest convoy. Imran Khan accused the current government of plotting the attack. And while he remained in hospital, his supporters gathered across the country to show their anger. CTV's Danielle Hamemjan reports. 24 hours after surviving a shooting, Imran Khan claimed he knew about the attempt to kill him. Four people plotted to kill me behind closed doors, he said. I have a video with me. If something happens to me, the video will be released, he warned. The former prime minister was standing on the rooftop of a container truck, waving to supporters when shots were fired. 
In the chaos that ensued, the crowd wrestled a man named Mohammed Naveed to the ground. Imran Khan was misleading people, he said. I could not bear that. So I tried to kill him. I tried my best to kill him. But today, speaking on live television from a hospital, Khan claimed there were two shooters and revealed he was shot four times, two bullets hitting each of his legs. And without providing any evidence, said that the current prime minister, Shehbaz Sharif, was involved in the attack, as was the military. The attempt to kill Khan has galvanized his supporters, now furious. You shameless people, said this man, addressing the government. We are coming. Our leader has told us, do not be afraid. Imran Khan, we are with you. The more they try to scare us, the more we will come out, said this man. Khan was ousted as prime minister in a no-confidence vote in April and since then has repeatedly claimed the United States conspired against him. He's vowed to hold rallies once again in his so-called long march to Islamabad for early elections. Pakistan's military today called Khan's allegations over involvement in the shooting baseless and irresponsible. John. All right, Danielle Hamemjan in London tonight. Tensions are rising over the Korean Peninsula after North Korea sent 180 military jets near the border. In response, South Korea scrambled 80 of its fighter jets, including F-35s. This as a joint U.S.-South Korean military exercise has continued, and it follows a barrage of missile tests from North Korea in the past few days. The standoff between police and convoy protesters was the focus of the Emergencies Act inquiry today, including concerns about national security details getting into the wrong hands. CTV's Judy Trin on the leaks and misinformation. Before police cleared the occupation, they handed out warnings about arrests. This is what the face of the Freedom Convoy said at the time. She wants to know what my response would be if I get arrested. What's the response? Hold the line! Hold the line! In cross-examination, Tamara Leach was asked if she encouraged protesters to stay. Leach said she was misinterpreted. My perspective on hold the line means stay true to your values in the face of diversity. I mean, it's concerning. And one of the things this commission is going to be looking at is the role that misinformation and disinformation played in allowing this convoy to take root in Ottawa. These two protesters, one a veteran, the other a mum, both from outside Ottawa, were shown this 10-minute video of what people who lived there experienced. Mr. Deering, if that was happening in your community, in your front lawn, would that be okay with you? I'd probably join in, yes. Police leaks also helped the convoy entrench Jeremy McKenzie, the founder of Diagonal, a group that has advocated for civil war, testified from jail that he had an inside source. Who self-identified himself as a uh, RCMP member. Um, just kind of friendly. Authorities were also concerned about ex-police officers who supported the convoy. An OPP intelligence report highlighted a former RCMP officer who quit because of vaccine mandates and may have leaked the prime minister's schedule. A description that matches Daniel Bulford, a Mountie who was on Trudeau's personal security detail, who then became the convoy's head of security. He denies leaking information, but testified he knew mass arrests were coming and didn't spread the word.
Perhaps I was naively hoping that my brothers and sisters in law enforcement would see the truth on the ground as opposed to what the government and the media was saying, and that they would take a historic opportunity to stand up for our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Whether leaders or followers, nearly all the convoy witnesses testified they didn't pay attention to mainstream news. Instead, they relied on alternate sources of information found on social media. John. CTV's Judy Trin in Ottawa tonight. Also in the capital, the for sale sign has officially gone up for the NHL's Ottawa Senators. The team says any sale would be conditional on the club staying in the city. The daughters of Eugene Melnick, who died last March, currently own the team, valued by Sportacle to be worth $880 million. There are reports Canadian actor Ryan Reynolds may be interested in buying the team. Time for a two-minute break, but when we come back... I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? Donald Trump's strongest hint yet of another White House run. Plus the parrot, the AirPod, and a reporter forced to play it by ear. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has dropped yet another hint that he'll make a run for the White House in 2024. In order to make our country successful and safe and glorious, I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? Speaking at a rally in Iowa, Trump repeated his unfounded claim that he won the 2020 election before announcing his likely intention to run again. Sources say an official announcement could come before the American Thanksgiving as Trump looks to benefit from expected Republican gains in Tuesday's midterm elections. And in the final sprint before those midterm elections, candidates are hammering each other on inflation, rising gas prices, and the abortion issue. But with the control of the Congress on the line, President Joe Biden this week raised the stakes, framing next week's elections as a pivotal test of American democracy. CTV's Washington Bureau Chief Joy Malbin explains. You hear it throughout America, that fear, that somehow the right to a free and fair election is at risk. You know, January 6th was a, was a big deal. It's a big turning point. This country was founded on this idea that we all come together. And we go to vote. We try to put our voice out there, not through violence, but through that process. That process nearly shattered January 6th when Donald Trump supporters attacked the Capitol, believing his lie that the election was stolen from him. Homeland Security now warning political violence and intimidation threatens these elections, and U.S. democracy says President Joe Biden is on the line. We don't settle our differences in America with a riot, a mob. We settle them peaceably at the battle box. Many say there's reason to worry. More than half of the Republican candidates say Biden did not win the presidency, so-called election deniers, and many refuse to say if they'll even accept the results of this election. I mean, what is the future of this country if we go down the path we're going down? Bill Crystal with the Never Trump conservative movement is pumping millions of dollars into ads condemning the deniers. This is a fraud on the American public. Trumpism isn't decisively defeated. The struggle for the soul of the Republican Party, uh, but I'd say for the soul of America, for the soul of the nation, continues. In Philadelphia, it has shaken some voters to the core. If the people running the system 
uh, take advantage of it, don't believe it, lie about it. It's a little scary. What do you uh, think is at stake? Everything. Everything? Everything. The Constitution, the country, um, rights. A sobering reminder, while the economy is driving voters to the polls, this is a crucial moment for America. The president asking voters to think about that November 8th. John? All right, thanks. Joy Malbin at the White House. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi today echoed Biden's assertion that democracy is on the ballot as she spoke publicly for the first time since the attack on her husband, taking a moment to update his condition. It's going to be a long haul, but he will be well. And it's just so tragic how it happened. But nonetheless, we have to be optimistic. Paul Pelosi is recuperating at home after being released from hospital yesterday. The suspect in the attack has pleaded not guilty. A San Francisco court today set his next hearing for November the 28th. Still ahead, exploring decades of hurt, healing, and hope through indigenous art. For many indigenous people, trade blankets carry a weight of history. And for a pair of artists, they're also a symbol of beauty emerging from the pain of residential schools. In tonight's Indigenous Circle, CTV's Quebec Bureau Chief Genevieve Beauchemin looks at the artists weaving broken bonds. I like this one. On these gallery walls hang colorful trade blankets. It's powerful symbolism. They are beauty woven from the scar tissue of residential school. I remember arriving and crying. I just, uncontrollable crying. I didn't want to go. This multimedia exhibit at May, a Montreal cultural organization, is the work of famed Anishinaabe Ojikri artists Ida Batiste and Lara Kramer, mother and daughter. My spirit name is uh, Wolf Woman. Batiste is a Brandon residential school survivor taken from her home when she was just four years old. There were a lot of children that ran away and boys that had been caught were made to carry a hundred pound bag of potatoes and and then there was the principal with a great big horse with a whip if they fell down or something you know and so I remember seeing that vision and being just like fear. fear where am I why why am I here <laughs> Batiste says the school severed her from her roots leaving her struggling with family ties she had difficulty parenting you know and and I think I always saw that as, well, how do you parent when you haven't been parented yourself? Their exhibit features nine trade blankets, the kind exchanged in the fur trade, and said to have been the fabric used to infect indigenous people with smallpox. The artists adorn these with jingles representing healing, and all the while working together, weaving intergenerational connections. At times they spoke of the residential school memories Baptiste long buried, just as she had done with a series of paintings she made in the 1990s. We all had a number, so that 64 was my number. Kramer discovered the paintings in her mother's home and convinced her it was time to show them. Time to include them in the exhibit titled Jazong Kadeyong, to have a strong heart. Geneviève Beauchemin, CTV News, Montreal. NASA is once again gearing up for its launch of a massive moon rocket. 
32 stories tall, overnight, Artemis 1 returned to a launch pad in Florida. After several agonizing delays, the hope is to blast off November 14th in a major uncrewed flight test before the planned return of humans to the moon by 2025. And there was a soft landing to this next story. A parrot dropped by while a Chilean TV reporter was doing a live hit. Seconds later, the bird made its move and flew away with his AirPod. Ironically, the reporter was talking about crime in the area. After the break, a woman with a big heart fostering a foundation of love and kindness. We leave you tonight with the story of a woman whose gracious heart knows no bounds. Viola Kane's Nova Scotia home isn't just a place with four walls, but a place of refuge and kindness for children in the foster system. CTV's Atlantic Bureau Chief Creason Ejkte on the foundation built by her love. In front of Viola Kane's door, a sign that her home is always open to those in need. This is my role, my gift, my gift from God to take care of kids. For more than 40 years, the 77-year-old foster mom has raised more than 135 foster children. This was to a special mom, Viola Kay. She says she does it out of love and with the help of her community and church. You got to show love because um, if you don't have that, it's going to be hard. The single mother of three girls also adopted three boys in her care. There's Jason here. Including Jason Kane who she took in when he was just four years old. Today, he carries her last name like a badge of honor, is married, and is now raising his own children. She just made me grow up to be a better man than I thought I was going to grow up to be. Education, church, and respect was, and still is, number one in Viola's home. And even after leaving the nest, Viola is still always there. She's always told me in my whole career of, Growing up, if you ever need a place to stay, always the doors are always open. Viola's spirit has inspired her daughter to do the same, to give back to her community. I don't know how she could do it, but she made sure I got the love that I needed. She made sure that my brother got the love that he needed. Everyone in there, she made them feel special. She has since been recognized by the Nova Scotia Department of Community Services, something she doesn't take for granted. Looking at me as the magic mom. That, that's, that's, you know, you can't buy that. That's something that, wow, this is awesome. A mother for all children who carries a big heart. Chris Nachkate, CTV News, Halifax. A big heart indeed. Well, that is it for us tonight. For Omar Sachedina and the rest of the CTV crew, thank you for watching. Sandy Ronaldo will be here tomorrow. Have a good night and a great weekend.